Anyways, we're back, and we like once a month to do what we call the UD segment uh, of the Good News Show. And uh, Dr. Jonathan Sanford, who is the provost and professor of philosophy at the University of Dallas, comes in, and he always brings somebody that has some connection to the university with him. <laughs> and uh, I mentioned earlier who his guest is today, but I'm going to let him formally uh, – I, I don't see a guest anywhere, uh, but uh, he, he has a guest in mind. So good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Good to see you, Dave. It's, it's really a pleasure to be here once again and you know I, I was as I was thinking a couple of weeks ago about how to how to frame this particular conversation um, I I had Aquinas on my mind I just finished teaching a course on Aquinas in the spring and um, I also had on my mind the fact that that a certain someone with a, a with a certain place here at <laughs> um, the the radio station has has made a, a lifelong affair of the study of Aquinas and and um, and that someone is you are <laughs> a, a graduate of the University of Dallas yeah. you received your master's degree and in, in what year was it Dave it was, uh, gosh, um, gosh, you know, that's so funny. Uh, 2013. 2013. Yeah, so it's about seven years ago. Right. So we, we had Dr. Glicksman on last time and, and, uh, Dr. Glicksman mentioned that he, he, um, had been on your, I think your oral, your oral, oral panel. exam yes. uh, panel and, and, uh, uh, you made it through with flying colors. <laughs> so, I made it through. Let's just yeah. say that. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, 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 um, um, I think, one of the, the real fruits of the education that we provide um, is to see our alumni and the way in which they are taking what they have learned from the university and um, sharing it with others mm-hmm. and trying to transform the world and promote the the, uh, the culture of life and love that we're all called to support. So I, I want to interview you, Dave, and, and just ask you a few questions. And then I thought our, our discussion could really focus on um, the the importance of Thomism, not just for the formation of an mm-hmm. individual thinking about how to think well about nature or God or what have you, but the importance of Thomism for our own day and age, the important of, importance of Thomism for um, cultural renewal mm-hmm. and and uh, many other things besides. So both you and I share a, a love of Aquinas, and I think we'll have some interesting things to explore there. But first, what what drew you to the study of Aquinas? When when did that when did that begin for you? Well, what happened is working in Catholic radio. I've I've worked in Catholic radio now for uh, since two thousand. Gosh, four two thousand five. So it's been you know good what fifteen uh, sixteen years or so. And I was so interested in all things Catholic mm-hmm. and listening to Catholic radio all the time by, and getting the, the, the degree. And it, my degree at UD took a long time because I first started with the Institute for Pastoral Studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, it, it literally took me about 10 years to finish. And then I entered into the regular master's program. So I'm kind of doing this side by side. I'm taking classes. I'm working in Catholic radio. I'm learning so much about my faith. And in the meantime, I'm realizing there's so much to learn. You'll spend your entire life uh, trying to learn everything the Catholic Church teaches, and you're never you're even going to get the, the tip of the iceberg because there's so much. Mm-hmm. And I heard speaker after speaker after speaker referring to Aquinas. Aquinas says this, Aquinas says that. Let's see what Aquinas says. And finally, I just one day, I got to I got to read this guy. Mm-hmm. I, I just I hear so much. And you know this is you know seven eight hundred years old, and he's still kind of the gold standard of the Catholic Church, and people mm-hmm. are referring to him constantly. And so I, it was almost like an inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, I went over to Sacred Heart Bookstore in Dallas, mm-hmm. and uh, Janet Petrucci was manager there, and I, I said I want to buy the Summa, 
I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to read the whole Summa. I'm going to mm-hmm. pick it up and I'm going to start reading it. And, and she said that she was waiting for the movie to come out because she did. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I did. I went home and I started reading it. And the first article, I was just totally hooked. Maybe you can, we can talk about the, what the first article is about. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't, I never put it down. I, I just, every night, staying up until one or two o'clock in the morning and my wife saying, when you go to bed, come on, turn the light off. And, and mm-hmm. I, I just, I just couldn't put it down. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, and I wanted to go to the primary text first rather yeah. than what did Dr. Crave say about him or this and that. I just, for either out of arrogance or stupidity or hubris or whatever, I just wanted to read Thomas first before I read what everybody thought about Thomas. And so I just, I just, it took me about nine months and mm-hmm. I finished it. And then the very next day I started it again. Wow. And it took me about, um, a year the second time, uh, reading through it, highlighting and notes. And, you know, you can see my summa. It's, it's all torn up and, you know, missing pages. And, uh, but, but that, that, that's, that's so a beautiful I, I, thing. Yeah. I never, it means, it means yeah. you love the text. And, yeah. And, and I really did love it. And I, and, yeah. and I, I, and I also thought I, I'm not a towering intellect. I don't have a PhD. Uh, I've only taken one, True philosophy class, because my degree was not in philosophy, my degree was in theology, and mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Bruce Marshall from SMU came over and was teaching a class on Thomas while I was getting my degree, mm-hmm. and I took that class, and of course, that only increased my desire to learn him, and so that, yeah. that's, that's the backstory. That's great. Well, Dr. Marshall's fantastic, and, mm-hmm. and let me just say, I, I, it's neither pride nor nor hubris nor ignorance that would lead one to go to the primary text. In yeah. fact, that that's at the heart of what we are promoting at the University of Dallas, right? These these texts are made for everyone. The education yeah. that we provide, it's, it's not simply for the elite. It's for yeah. those who are willing to throw themselves into the study of primary sources, to think with the great minds. And, and Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas, his is truly one of the greatest minds, right? So yeah. one, one of the reasons why we, we go back to Aquinas again and again is because of the way in which he synthesized the, the old with the new, mm-hmm. so to speak, right? At the time mm-hmm. that, that Aquinas started writing, this, this fellow Aristotle was being circulated around some of the universities at the time, and, and people didn't know what to make of him. Mm-hmm. He was undiscovered for much of the medieval world, uh, the, the medieval times, because he had been um, more or less neglected in the fall of the, the Roman Empire. Many of his texts did not make it through. We just had some translations from Boethius, and those were just of his logical works. So all of a sudden, Aristotle's physics and metaphysics and Nicomachean ethics were coming. And at the same time, there was there was a real concern not to let go of the Augustinian synthesis, right? Mm-hmm. St. Augustine, the 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 first of of the great Latin doctors of the church, who had done so much to set the early stage, right? So Aquinas brings those two together and sets the the framework for for the future. Um, the one of the remarks that that Chesterton makes in his book on on St Thomas Aquinas and I don't know if you ever heard the the uh, uh the story about the time that that uh, the great uh medieval scholar Etienne Gilson picked up this this biography of St Thomas Aquinas by GK Chesterton the Damox, right that's right yeah, and and yeah. he 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 uh had just finished reading it. One of his his colleagues walked into the room and he chucked the book across the room. And his colleague said to uh, Professor Gilson, "Why why did you do that?" He said, "I've spent my entire life studying St. Thomas Aquinas, and this journalist <laughs> nails him yeah. after a few short years." Yeah. So um, one one of the things that that Chesterton says there is is that um, 
uh, Aquinas communicates the the language of nature, right? He he's the he he tells us how we think when we think well about mm-hmm. the world, about the nature of the human being, about the 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 moral life, right? And and I think you've run with that theme in your own attempts to talk about St. Thomas. Uh, you in fact wrote a um, a book called St. Thomas Aquinas for Everyone, mm-hmm. and and uh, tell us tell us about that book. Well, the the thing that struck me when I read the Summa, and I, and I don't claim to understand the entire thing. I sometimes half-jokingly say Thomas didn't understand it all, because uh, it, it can be complicated, and there's some words in their language that is difficult to understand, but there was a certain simplicity about it that really appealed to me, and then as I started learning about the attributes of God, I realized that the first attribute that Thomas um, describes God as is simple, because I think we think God is very, very complex, but mm-hmm. Thomas says, no, he's, he's actually simple. Um, and and, there, and I found that same uh, to be true with the Summa, is that there was a basic, basic simplicity about it, mm-hmm. about how we can come to know God through our reason, through our experience with the world. And, mm-hmm. and that, that was what first struck me, especially with uh, like the proofs for the existence of God, where he's using reason and not, you know, high lofty theology. Of course, you know, taking these from Aristotle. And I, I started to say, well, this, this just makes sense to me, you know, mm-hmm. and then the, the attributes of God, I started incorporating into my prayer life and his simplicity and perfection and goodness and, uh, infinite, and, and he's infinite and, and, and one and, and, and I, and all of a sudden I, I just, I just wanted to, I wanted to know God. Mm-hmm. I, I just had this, this passion to know God mm-hmm. and that's about, to me, that that's a simple thing because I think everybody does. Maybe some people may not admit it or may not realize it, but we all want God, mm-hmm. and in our in our desire can, for God can be uh, also seen in just our basic desire for goodness, right. right? And Thomas would say, being and goodness are basically the same. Anything mm-hmm. that has being is good. And so mm-hmm. I thought, okay, well, the whole world is good, right? right? I mean, that tree and you and Sissel and the the grasshopper, they're all good. And the, so they're telling me something about God. Right. And so my, and I, I tell my students, I say, if you, you know, if you're desiring a banana split right now, there's something godly about that. That goodness in that banana split that you're desiring is telling you something about your desire ultimately. Now, of mm-hmm. course, you know, uh, and so all of a sudden life started taking on new meaning because I could kind of see God everywhere in yeah. a sense, in every desire, every appetite, my will, my intellect. And so, uh, it, it, it made, it, it changed the, the way I saw the world. Mm-hmm. And I, and then I started to, to get back to the book. I thought, well, you know, there are some of these things I could teach, you know, my then five-year-old daughter, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are some things because she desires a banana split, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I can, I can connect that. Mm-hmm. That that's not. She doesn't need a PhD in philosophy to understand that. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, this this is simple enough where I'd like to. Everybody can learn Thomistic philosophy to some degree. Mm-hmm. And why wait? If you're going to teach your kid a language, you don't wait till they're in college. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you want to teach them Spanish. Start when they're, you know, six months old, right? Right. And so, why should we wait? And that that was the premise for my mm-hmm. book. Okay, great, great. Yeah, there there is. So when when you think of what makes Aquinas accessible, right? Are, are you thinking primarily of the way in which our encounter with the world emphasizes the senses, right? So it's 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 quite basic. He argues that all knowledge ultimately derives from our, our sense experience of the world. And, yeah. and we build up these notions of of the the what and the what for of the beings that we encounter, right? The the mm-hmm. formal cause and the final cause. We start to see patterns of order 
in the world around us. But it begins with this very sensual engagement that we have with with the world around us. And children are great models for how that happens. Our our youngest child right now, um, he's he's nearly two years old and he's still in that that phase where he is putting things in his mouth and. And why do children do that? Well, yeah. they do it because your your lips and your tongue are just full of nerve endings, and it's a way to begin to to come to understand the object, right? You you get a feel for it. You do that with your with your fingers as well. And Aquinas has this this tremendous gift for starting with those most basic sense experiences of the world mm-hmm. and, and going right up to the, the nature of God yeah. and and reflecting upon divine simplicity. In connection with with the other divine names, and that really is marvelous. So, um, what what about the, the the moral life that Aquinas describes? You you hit on that a little bit with the desire for happiness. Mm-hmm. But what what else do you do you see um, really significant for our own our own age um, yeah. when it comes to um, the moral reflection? Well, as Aquinas. you know, the the Summa has. It's kind of kind of like four parts, I guess you can say. There's the first part, the third part, and the middle part has two parts, right? Mm-hmm. So you got part one of part two and part two of part two. The middle part is all really about the virtuous life. He gives right. an overview of them, and then he gets more specifically into the cardinal virtues, the theological virtues, and all the derivative virtues that go that, and mm-hmm. opposing vices. And he starts that section talking about happiness, right? right? He talks about the, the what ultimately is going to give us happy, and also what will not uh, ultimately make us happy. The That's things right. that we think of, the power, the, the sensual goods, the, you know, popularity, money, you know, food, that kind of thing. And so everything in the Summa is directed to our final end, mm-hmm. right? I, one time, the second time I read through the Summa, I started circling every time he uses the word end. Mm-hmm. And, you That's know, a lot you, of you're, you're going to run out of, you run out of your pen many times because yeah. end, 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 you know, beatitude, uh, you know, even, you know, teleology and, you know, mm-hmm. drag, drag to the end. So I saw that also, you know, he, he says that we are, we are um, we are good. Mm-hmm. We are virtuous. Mm-hmm. And so to be virtuous is natural to us, right? Mm-hmm. And to be, so some people would think that human beings are just, you know, it's like, it's in our nature to, to, to be bad. It, no, it's not. Our no. nature is to be good. Our nature is to be virtuous. So if we can just kind of follow that path and follow the path of, you know, the most infused virtues and acquired virtues, that's leading us to our final end, right. which, which is God. And so I, you know, it's kind of like taking a trip. If you're going to, if, you know, I went last weekend to South Padre Island. If we get in the car and, Dad, where are we going? I don't know. Yeah. Well, you're not going to go very far, right? right? So if your entire life is focused on your end, mm. that's that's the virtuous life, right? And so yeah. you have to you have to practice the virtues, learn the virtues, acquire those which can be acquired, mm-hmm. and then, you know, uh, be able to receive the, the well, the... Uh, at least don't put any blocks to the ones that are infused, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, you know, Aquinas says many times, right? The, the first principle in practical matters is the end, right? Yeah. The, so in your car example, the first thing you need to think about is where are you going, yeah. right? Then you, then you're actually going someplace. And I, I love those, those questions on, on happiness where, 
yeah, he, he, he holds up wealth and power and fame and glory and, and even friends and asks, can, can they in fact be what fulfill our desire? So there's, there's, there's the desire for complete fulfillment. And then there's the, the recognition of God as the fulfillment of that desire. It's not yeah. obvious to everyone mm-hmm. that God is what fulfills that God-given desire yeah. for himself. And, and Aquinas has this powerful set of arguments for why these things that so many of our, of our, um, you know, uh, fellow citizens fall into as, as thinking of, of being ultimately fulfilling and ourselves, right? It's, it's easy for us to think that, that, um, something as good as friendship or food or, or wealth, none of which are bad in and of themselves, but all of which are not going to be ultimately satisfying. Yeah. It's, it's only that friendship with, with God himself who Aquinas says in, in the second part of the second part, of the Summa, um, he says that's that's what charity is. Charity is God's friendship for us, so that we can have friendship with Him. Mm-hmm. So, what one of the things that that I like about those those middle two parts of the Summa is you've got a, a reflection upon um, happiness, the structure of the moral acts, the virtues, um, the passions, and and categorization of the virtues. But it's it's from a kind of natural perspective right these are these are truths that are available to everyone and then in the second part of the second part he focuses on faith hope and charity those three as you pointed out those three infused virtues mm-hmm. and that transforms the the examination of the acquired virtues those those virtues of of character and of intellect so when aquinas goes back in the second part of the second part of the summa to to reexamine the the cardinal virtues for instance it's it's a it's a transformed process because now we can presume the theological virtues of faith hope and charity and the the richness of his account is is remarkable in fact mm-hmm. i i don't know of a richer account of the virtues than that which you find in those two parts of the summa theologiae so so thank you for for directing our minds to that when, when, when you think about the, the challenges of our, of our day and age, and, and there are many, we, we seem to be hitting a kind of triple whammy right now mm-hmm. um, in terms of, of um, some of the, the challenges facing all of us. We've got the, the, the COVID-19 um, challenge. We've got the economic decline, and, and that has certainly affected many people's lives. And, and then we've, we've had social unrest for, for some weeks here, right? So, those are those are some of the big challenges, but behind those challenges are are other challenges that that we we often try to discern and, and make sense of in terms of threats to religious liberty and and um, threats to the dignity of the human person, right? So what what can Aquinas do for us in trying to reclaim our culture for Christ? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that's that's a very very important question right now, and I don't think there I think there the the Thomistic philosophy is so important now because of the way that Thomas frames an argument. And I know you know this, but for the listener's sake, when Thomas asks a question, the very first thing he does is he articulates his opponent's position, typically in, in many different ways, through objections. Okay, so, you know, does God exist? Well, he's not going to come out right off the bat and say, no, God doesn't exist. I mean, no, no, God does exist. No, he's going to give you the arguments for why God doesn't exist first. That's showing great respect 
uh, 401's intellectual opponent. Mm-hmm. Then he does the, you know, the, um, the, the proof from some authority, typically scripture or, uh, Aristotle or, uh, or somebody. And then he goes into the, his heart, his heart, the corpus, the basis for his, and then he answers each one of the objections. Mm-hmm. I, I think in the cancel culture that we're living in right now, many people don't want to hear what other people have to think, mm-hmm. you know, like if if somebody works and I've used this example, if somebody works in a corporation today and, you know, they put in a in an email, even a private email, I think, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman. They will often get fired. Yeah. And it's not it's because, no, you're not allowed to believe that. Thomas would have never said, no, you're you can't oppose me. You know, mm-hmm. this is the answer. And you have to believe this. And I think the church has been guilty in certain times in its, in its history of, of, you know, saying, you know, this is the truth and, you know, uh, but, but Thomas had a great desire to know the, every side of an argument and then come to his conclusion. There's even times he's disagreed with, you know, Augustine. That's right. Uh, not often, but, um, you know, but he wants to seek the truth. I don't think we're living in a culture right now where everybody wants to seek the truth. Mm-hmm. We want to seek uh, you know uh, the, the what the talking points of our political party mm-hmm. or of our cultural position. I mean, if if we're pro-life, you know, we have to be able to understand why somebody would be pro-abortion. Right. Because you know, we have to re- at least respect them. We can't just say you're wrong. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's and again, we only have a little bit of time here, but I, I think that's really why the the way that Thomas thinks is important in our age. I, I think you nailed it with that. I mean that that is precisely what we are missing. The ability to to listen, to understand, and then take it a, a step farther as Aquinas consistently does, to articulate mm-hmm. the position of our opponent, to do so yeah. in a respectful manner. If 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 we don't relearn how to do that, then we're going to be stuck forever in this protest culture where we yeah. just shut down or cancel the the position of another. So I, yeah. I really do think that's that is the heart of the renewal that we need to strive for and Aquinas is a wonderful model. Mm-hmm. Well thank you so much. I enjoyed being interviewed. Well uh, it was it was, it was great to turn the tables on on, <laughs> on the on the radio host here. So thank you for letting yeah, me do that. I, I appreciate, appreciate it. it.